All right, Jeremy, this is going to be a great episode today. Very special, unique. What do we have? Uh, our good friend, Paul McKinley from Chicago. And uh, everybody needs to listen to this guy. All right, here we go. Okay, people, let's begin. Liftoff! We have liftoff! Get up, everybody! Are you ready to be baited with the truth? Good, because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast, Episode 9. Today's Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. I'm Andrew Marcus, documentary filmmaker, podcaster, and with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image is filmmaker and rebel pundit Jeremy Siegel. Thank you, Mr. Marcus. And I am with you, my favorite documentary filmmaker, Andrew Marcus. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy Siegel. Favorite. I'm going to hold you to that. It's because I know you. But you are a Wait. good filmmaker. <laughs> I'm your favorite because when we're working together, I do what you tell me. <laughs> so, Jeremy, this got, is going to be a special episode. It's a first. And yeah, I'm excited. I am I'm too excited. because it's something that we've talked about doing and wanting to do a little bit of um, every now and then to have an interview. Or maybe a few interviews, but uh, just to mix the show up a little bit and get away from sort of the regular pattern of the, of the show and give people a different um, exposure to some of the people that we know, people that we've worked with over the years. And today is going to be an interview with my very good friend, Paul McKinley. And you this know Paul. Is, I do. I, uh, I've, I've met him uh, because of you uh, and worked with you and him a number of times. Uh, his story is amazing. People are going to be blown away by Paul. And, you know, really, it, we, our interview, it's, it, this is a very good interview, and it only scratches the surface of Paul McKinley and, and, the, and, the, and the community that he represents. I've been friends with him now for probably almost as long as I've known you. And uh, we met one night at an event. And I had actually been familiar with him as an activist in Chicago, but hadn't met him. Um, but him and he and a lot of his uh, contacts in the black community in Chicago who were primarily uh convicted ex-offenders who had spent time in prison and all come out basically as hostile opponents to the Democrat Chicago machine in politics um, were just they were really doing interesting work creative work with with video and different types of protest um, and I was just really intrigued by them and 
Paul and I really clicked. He's he's a little bit older than I am, um, but he had just this amazing insight into the way things work inside Chicago and then all the way up on a national level that a large part of is based on his experience in the prison system. And he ended up producing with me dozens and dozens of videos over the last decade, decade and a half that got millions and millions of views on YouTube. The videos were seen all over different media outlets. One time Rush Limbaugh covered it and and played this video that was like four and a half minutes long that we produced with three of his other associates out in the hood in Chicago. Uh, he pl- Rush Limbaugh played this video three times in full and covered it on three different days. It had the headline on Drudge for four days. It was at the top Just of before the Drudge In the run-up to an election, wasn't Right it? before the midterm election. Um, that was, it was either prior to the 20, I think it was prior to, the 2012 campaign or was just after actually i think it was the 2013 uh 2014 midterm election and um i'll just give you a taste i found an old clip of paul and this was an event actually that they organized him and his friends organized where they brought al sharpton into town to have a community um you know, like a town hall meeting, basically, knowing that if Al Sharpton was there, it would gain national media coverage if they all went there and railed on Obama. Wait, who or, who organized the event? Are you saying Paul organized the event? Paul and a bunch of his associates organized the event to, to bring in Al Sharpton into town. And the whole effort was in order to get national media attention of these guys criticizing President Obama at the time. Listen to this. This is Paul himself at the event. Hold on. My thing just stopped recording because I hit the – I wasn't on my final cut. I say we leave this in. Don't edit this out. These mistakes must be known. <laughs> it will be edited out. Good thing it was at a point where I was going to hit the play button. It will be an easy fix. All right, here we go. First of all, I'd like to say one major thing. Stop blaming just anybody for the violence in the city of Chicago. Blame the right, right people. Not just white people. Blame the right people. Because it ain't just white folks a part of this. But it is on the fifth floor. It is on the fifth floor. The fifth floor, you know, is in City Hall. That's what he's referring to. And this is during the time that Rahm Emanuel was mayor. That's the mayor's office is on the fifth floor. And so he's placing a lot of blame for the problems in the city and for the community on the fifth floor, on Rahm Emanuel. The fifth floor took your schools. The fifth floor just took all your jobs that he said that he gave to the ex-offender. It's the policies of the administration. And every single alderman was a part of this criminal process that messed over our people. He's talking about black aldermen there. And you was right, brother. You was right. They should let Pharaoh go. 
But some of these Negroes that say they are ministers need to let them go too. They need to let them go. Our people are suffering and being devastated. We have boarded up houses in every community in our community. It's almost like the curse of Pharaoh. Every other house is boarded up in our neighborhood. Why can't we build it up? So my question is just here. So now he's talking to Al Sharpton directly, who's standing on stage watching him. Mr. President, because he watches your program. Mr. President, the man that you have sent down here as the mayor hate us. Ain't no other way of getting around it. We're asking the president of the United States. We're asking the president of the United States. Let us, the grassroots people, not these name brand blue ribbon Negroes. Us, the grassroots people. Let us take our bills. Stop giving them people, them evil, evil people our money. Don't give them our money. So what did he say? Wait, what was that line that he had about blue ribbon what? Name brand blue ribbon Negroes. And he's talking about Al Sharpton there. <laughs> and he's talking about Jesse Jackson. And he's right to their face. Right to their face. And Al Sharpton was just standing there. I was, I think I was the only white guy in the room. It was hundreds of people there. Um, they, they. I think there seemed like there were a couple other white people who were part of the like the stagecraft that was going on. It was in a big, giant auditorium, and I mean, this was in the heart of the community, and they brought him right down into the community, so that knowing that he had his show on MSNBC, that by doing this, it would get national attention. I, several other people that I filmed that night speaking, I cut a video together. I was back working at Breitbart at the time. Everything went viral. Paul ended up getting on Fox News. And this really was one of the first events that started exposing this rift, you know, between the hard left and black men, really in the black community in this country. And that has really come a long way since then. And, and you really saw that amplified when Donald Trump ran for president. There was uh, He got more of the black vote than any Republican has gotten in a long, long time. So Paul's work, he's, he's, he's just a brilliant He's a brilliant guy. I mean, he's a he's like a community organizer, but not in the Marxist sense, just in the sense of getting people together to do political actions and protest actions. Um, he even ran for Congress for Jesse Jackson Jr.'s seat as a Republican, ex-con and uh, convicted felon, and he won the primary <laughs> when Jesse Jackson Jr. was forced to resign from Congress in disgrace. And that... For buy, buying luxury watches, right? Wasn't that? Yeah, right, was, it yeah like misusing Rolex, campaign Rolex funds, you know. Um, and at that time, Paul was... Uh, he ran as a Republican. There were like 17 Democrats running. There were five other Republicans. And Paul came through and won. And that got microphones put in front of his face by local media in Chicago for a few months where he was able to rail against the machine. And I really credit his voice 
in in causing a lot of the stir now that's out there in these communities against you know their real oppressors and that's really paul's words but um so well, yeah the, he, the media and the left they represent they act as though their narrative represents the entire black community paul and his work really puts the lie to that it it he he his work and his passion exposes the falsehood that is presented that that the that the media and the left are the ones who have a monopoly on representing black interests and he's furious this guy you know what i mean paul i would say this, paul is a real community organizer and this is why he's so angry at at frankly at marxists who have come in and co-opted what he does to divert the resources that come his way, that would come his way. Wow. He sees where the left robs the community in their name. Right. And the people who are the figureheads and speakers, anointed speakers by the media for the community, like Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and many, many others, are the ones that are getting in the way of you know any sort of of potential for progress or rehabilitation in these communities. So, um, so we wanted to bring Paul in today, uh, given that there's an election going on right now in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, we know just got trounced in the primary and the election is coming up. We're, we're bringing Paul in basically to, introduce you to him kind of just let you hear from somebody in this community the things that are you know kind of really going on there and how it how things look from their perspective one of the first viral videos we ever created we produced a grassroots response to the state of the union address where we had a bunch of people in the community then responding to Obama's State of the Union address because they always have the Republican response and whoever. And so I think for our listeners to be able to get some insight into the mindset of somebody in the community who is very wise, who who really knows what's going on with a lot of politics, um, and he's going to also talk about why Chicago is so important, how Chicago really fits into the political landscape on a, on a national level. So uh, with that, uh, are you ready to be baited, Mr. Marcus? I am. I just wanted to real quick say that video you just described where you took the reaction to the State of the Union, what was so brilliant about that? What you what you said occurs every time. You have an elitist who gives the State of the Union, and then you have an elitist who gives the response to the State of the Union, and nowhere in there does anybody ever get the perspective of a real person, and that's what you guys did. I thought that was brilliant and why it succeeded, because people are, are thirsty for, for some truth. And that was always the idea behind all of the work we did together, which was really was getting microphones in front of these guys' faces so that they had an opportunity to be heard because their voices are that important. So uh, with that, uh, we're just going to kick it off right in with Paul talking about the mayor race and... Um, I just skipped ahead right to that. Uh, I hope that everybody uh, can 
can really enjoy this and get a lot of insight out of it. So here we go. What you have in Chicago is a classic fight between the uh, liberals and the progressives. And now the liberals are kind of reaching out to the conservatives in the city. Uh, in the city of Chicago, uh, the state of Illinois, we just had a governor race, and I was a part of the race with Bailey. Bailey was a downstate, downstate guy who was endorsed by uh, Donald Trump. And we brought him to Chicago, walking through the Bud Billington Parade. A lot of people thought they was going to spit on him and boo him out the parade. And they welcomed him in the parade and, and they had him in the uh, the uh, the breakfast at the parade. And I mean, he, he did very good. You know what I'm saying? What is, one, what is the Bud Billiken Parade? Why is that well, significant? The Bud Billington Parade is one of the largest African-American parades in the nation, actually in the world. Uh, it's a million people watches it, and they watches it from other countries also. And it's a historical parade, like 90 years old. It's like the Irish parade, parade. and it's very political, very political. And uh, yeah, so, don't we went there? You and I went there. We went there together many times, yeah, right? Yeah. We went to. There's a right. breakfast in the morning, and all the all the politicians. Everybody in Chicago goes there, right? It's a big to-do. It's a big place to be seen, right? Right. On a national level, not just on a local level, because they see it all over the country. So it was it was the first time that a Republican president, a Republican guy that was running for governor ever ran and wasn't in office, and the people welcomed him in there. Now, I can go off into why he lost and all that. And a lot of it was his campaign, people that was working with him. Um, well, that, that was the governor him. race, but we. But what's going on right. with the well, mayor the who's the progressive? Yeah. Who's the progressive and who's the Democrat in the mayor race? Well, I'm, it's leading into that. So okay. the, the, um, because the, the guy ran, there was over 100,000 votes in the city of Chicago for him. And for so a Republican. That was for a Republican governor. Mm. He lost, he lost, and he lost because he didn't, he had people around him that were sabotaging him. But uh, like I said, there was 100,000 uh, Republican votes. And that's significant because uh, Paul Ballard, he didn't get nothing but 175,000. And uh, Brandon, I think he got a little bit over 100,000. And uh, so a lot of people, is also reaching for that 100,000 Republican votes in the city of Chicago. That's why it's significant about the governor's race. Now, so Paul Vallis and so Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson, they're they're the two left after yeah. Lori Lightfoot lost in the primary, right. right? Yeah, so they they in the finals. They in the finals and and the uh those two candidates uh, are, are going at it now. They both they both uh, have background. They're both in Democrats, aren't oh. they? Well, not just that. They both have background in education. Uh, Brandon has background as a union representative. That's who Brandon has a background in union organizing for the teachers' union. Paul Vallis has background as a person. That was actually 
working for Mayor Dillon and working for the schools. Right? Didn't wasn't he the CEO of Chicago Public Schools? Yeah, yeah. So, so that, they were on so, opposite okay. sides of this major. What is a major battle in Chicago for years and years seems to never end between the teachers union and Chicago public schools. I have a a clip. I've got a clip of Brandon Johnson from 10 years ago at a union teachers union protest that I was filming. And uh, this, this will give you a little bit of a, of a taste of the, you know, sort of the position that Brandon Johnson takes. That's right. The reality of the fact is the same business community that tries to justify poverty wages for our families have profited from our schools. They claim our schools need to be closed to save money while they take hundreds of millions of CPS dollars lost in tip handouts to get tax breaks for massively profitable corporations like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and ever-growing numbers of private contracts allowing these companies to make a profit off our children. And we're saying enough is enough. These fat cats have pushed for still more expansions of charter schools that of course they love to name after themselves. At the same time, they want our schools closed because we don't have enough students. That doesn't make sense. Why does the business community have a say while parents, teachers, students are left out in the cold? Why do the people who rob our students through poverty rates, wages, rob CPS through TIFs and privatization, and rob schools through closings have a say? The people of Chicago need to have a voice in this conversation. Does he have a point? So that was Brandon. Does he have I, a point? Paul? Hello? I'm, I'm wondering if Brandon Johnson has a point in terms of the corruption in Chicago, you know, really, in, in a sense, stealing from resources for children. Uh, well, I, I don't think that's the issue. What the... What the um, Progressives have did, and uh, they started it with the occupiers. They latch on to a legitimate issue, and then they corrupt it. They mess it up, and nothing good come up out of it. And just like all that that yappy yap he talking about, he didn't ever change none of that. He's a part of the problem. Uh, when he was with the teachers union, he was a part of removing almost ten thousand teachers from Chicago teachers, black teachers. Now, he he's not actually an African-American. He's supposed to be a Haitian or Dominican or something else. And so he doesn't have... Isn't, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't African-American mean black? No, African-American mean people who were put in slavery, brought to this country, not brought to Haiti, not brought to uh, Puerto Rico, not... No, those, those that's, they have a different culture. Then they have a different background. They they are Africans that were brought to the islands, but they're not Africans like us. And so we have a different culture. And so a lot of things that, that we uh, believe and do, they don't. A lot of things they believe and do, we don't. How, do, how uh, does that they, manifest? Because it, you were saying he, he grew up in the United States. He's been here his whole life. I would imagine his experience, you know, when people see him, they don't say, 
uh, oh, well, that he's not black, he's Haitian. They, I think, just look at him as black. I'm go, sure that his experience go, go. was as a black man. No, it wasn't, because uh, if you was born in, in any time, if you was born before 1964, then you a Jim Crow survivor. He's not a Jim Crow survivor, neither is his family. I was born in 1958, so I'm considered a Jim Crow survivor. Gotcha. So he's not he has, he doesn't have our culture our uh, our experience and the things that we have. And you're saying, and so, his family hasn't gone through that struggle. Are you and, you? and and so how can they tell him? How can they tell him about Jim Crow? Okay. How can they tell? He has his own experience since he's been to America, and he has his own perception about us. But he can't represent. Same with Obama. Same with him. He he does not have. The perception and they dismissive. They very dismissive to uh, what we our people done went through. You know, hey man, get along, get, get over with my people. Your people ain't went through what I went. You just came over to this country, so stop talking to me like that. And, and we get into it with these people. A lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't know that a lot of people from other countries they don't actually live in the black community. They live in their own enclave for this very reason that we're talking about. But we getting away from. Uh, why I said that he uh, became a uh, part of the teachers union and he had no problem. And he was supposed to be in the caucus. He was supposed to be representing the black teachers to make sure that they didn't lose their job. Not only did, did, did they lose their job, he was right there with them and they lost it. So he didn't speak up for them and he didn't have no problem with it. So, so this whole thing now that he's running for mayor, uh, he he uh, uh now he's saying this uh, issue between black and white. Well, I, I, I take offense to that, and I'm gonna tell you why. Number one, in this election, in this election right here, did both of y'all know that he did not win one black ward? No, I did not know that. He won two white wards. He won Laurie's ward, where the progressives at. And the other ward next neighbor in her ward, he won white wards. He did not win black wards. Well, so that's interesting. what do you think black wards are going to do in the runoff then? Will well, they stay home? Well, they just they today, to, to, today, today, uh, a lot of the uh, aldermen came out in support of uh, Paul Dallas. Uh It was the um, Emma Mitch, the eighth ward Democratic organization. Harrison, the 17th Ward Alderman, the 18th Ward Alderman, the 6th Ward Alderman, and the 9th Ward Alderman. All those black wards from the south and west side and the southwest side. So those were. So those black, black aldermen are rolling with Vallis. They're, with, they're rolling with Vallis because Vallis is whatever you may want to say about uh, um, uh, the Dailies, they believed in. Uh, each community should, should govern their own community, and it should be respected. And so it's seventy-seven. Vallis is a white guy. Is he a white guy, or what is he? Yeah, yeah, he's a white guy. Vallis is a white guy. Why does Brandon everybody is, think he's Hispanic then? Vallis is a Greek. He's from Greek town. That's he's what I thought. He was Greek. He, he, Vallis is a Greek. He's from Greek town, and he's Orthodox. He's Orthodox Greek. And so Vallis uh, has those same family values. Now, he was questioned on the abortion issue. He said, a woman has a right to choose. That's her body. She chooses what she wants to choose. 
know what I'm saying? That was just saying. But that's the sad. That was what Dallas said. Yeah. Because that doesn't fly well in the black community, does it? Well, they've been saying this forever. They've been saying this type of language forever. Right? They 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 they've been they've been making it like you know it's a black issue too, but it's not. Uh, but I Why do you think Lori lost? Very simple. Lori completely. Lori lost all the black wars. Now they trying to say she won. I didn't see her win no wars, no black wars. But Lori, she, she Lori is a progressive. Let's talk about Lori. I'm glad you brought her up. Lori is a progressive, and Lori is uh, a person that showed a lot of disdain for the black community. She, all the programs that they had for blacks that um, that were helping blacks, she shut it down. She brought in people who also had disdain for blacks. And also, she was um, pro-gay, and so she was trying to find if, if anybody wanted to be something and they were gay, she helped them. But if they were, and, and it wasn't race, it was just anybody that was gay. And so Lori had messed over the black community so bad with the violence, the riots, um, uh, taking all the, the, the coronavirus money and not giving it to, refusing to give communities masks. Did you Masks, you mean? Masks, you're saying? Yeah, refuse to give the community masks. The audience had to buy the masses and give them away. And and Trump gave them money for masses. I didn't know that. Really? So who do you who do you think would be better as a mayor for the black community? You think it would be Vallis? Brandon is a commissioner. Listen to this. For the black community. Did y'all know that? No. What does that mean? They got a Cook County commissioner. Brandon is a Cook County commissioner in the black world, in the black community. How's he doing? He got elected. That's what I'm trying to show you. The very district that he got elected in as a Cook County commissioner was wards in the black community. He did not win those wards. How did he? Oh, so he's how not. Was he elected? So he's not. That, 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 so, I so, y'all so, wanted to talk about that. <laughs> how was he? Well, how was he elected? How was he elected if he didn't he even was, win the wards that he's representing? Because they had so many black people running that they chopped up everybody vote. They, the Willie Wilson uh, chopped up the vote. Um, um, you had the Latino. He chopped up the Latino vote. And so they chopped up Lori. And then Lori got some votes. And so, but nobody voted for Brandon. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're hearing it here first. I think we, uh, do we have a prediction? Is this an official prediction that Brandon Johnson is not even going to win the black communities in Chicago? I believe that there's going to be a low voter turnout when it comes to Brandon. Because the black community right now has a lot of disdain for black leadership behind this uh, pandemic. You got to understand, 
a lot of people, specifically seniors. A lot of family members died. A lot of people died. And so that's not being brought up in this election at all. And so that's one of the things that, that's kind of people is, is, is upset about that too. And as you got this violence that's off the hinges in which the mayor was calling the police back and talking about defunding. And so that's Brandon's platform is to defund the police. Did you know that? I thought that's, isn't that what they want? Isn't that what the community wants? That's what I saw the Black Lives Matter protests. They want to defund the police. Yeah, that's, that's the message that's, we're hearing in the media is that black people want that's what the me- police defunded. The media says no, black no, people want to defund. That's that's what the media took a group of gay and lesbian people and said they were black leaders and that they know better. Those same groups were being run out of the neighborhood, getting into it with black folks. When they was protesting the police station, they knew they couldn't go nowhere but in front of the police station. If they ventured off on them blocks, they was going to end up getting into it with black folks. Hmm. And it seems to me that the black community right now, thanks to these progressive policies, the black community now has a has a terrible reputation for violence. That is how the mainstream media is now portraying, I believe, black communities in in our major cities. Uh, that this is a crime issue and it's always associated with the black community. Do you well, do you think I'm well, right about that, or do you well, have a different take? Well, when the virus, when the when the coronavirus hit, and even before it hit, when the uh, protests happened about the man that got killed in Minnesota, George Floyd. It, George Floyd, the the black community, the preachers, the activists, and even the police asked the mayor to not allow them people. They're not from Chicago. Now, some of the some of the so-called youth activists in Chicago went up there and told them to come to Chicago. So that that's one of the things that happened too. Yeah, that's right. There were a lot of out of out of towners in the BLM <laughs> anarchist riots that occurred after George Floyd. Uh, right. Died. So so they all Trump sent the National Guard in and they bailed. They all ran about of Minnesota. That's when they came to Chicago. They, some people from Chicago invited them in, and um, that's what I'll go back to what I was telling you about that people from the community the or, or who invited them. No, no. So, so in Chicago, you have the USA Communist Party, the USA Communist Party, and these other socialist and communist parties in the city of Chicago, which is some of them are front groups for the FBI. But these uh, socialist and communist parties, they invited him in, and these uh, black guys that was a part of uh, VYU, Youth One Hundred, and these different groups, they also invited him too. They actually was marching with them on Cottage Grove. I have pictures of them marching with them on Cottage Grove. This brought this, this brought these people in. And once they got here, because Chicago didn't go up, all the other cities went up. Every city in the United States went up, um, uh, but Chicago didn't go up. So they brought these people here to trigger Chicago. 
Now, when the riots hit, they they thought it, it, two things happened. The riots hit, and these people out of towners, they was a part of the riots in the black neighborhood. And so that there was a lot of backlash in the black neighborhood with the street guys, ex-offenders, preachers, everybody got started getting down on them. How y'all let these people come from out of town and trigger y'all to, to tear up your own neighborhood? So then there was another incident. So there was two riots downtown. There was an authorized riot downtown that the mayor authorized. Then there was an unauthorized riot, which I call the rebellion against the mayor because now everybody in the city that was young people, they went downtown and they tore up. That's when they tore up downtown. That's when they went down there and tore up the north side and started clowning in the white folks' neighborhood. The mayor triggered that. And that was about a young boy getting shot. But all that happened based on the fact that these uh, CVSs, these Walgreens, and all of these places was towed up and our grandmamas and our mamas couldn't get no medicine, couldn't get no no type of medicine. And it was a big deal. It was a big backlash behind that. And so they went up north and that's where they at. They up north by Belmont. They up by Division. They up by uh, Sheridan. You're talking about the, an the anarchists. Yeah, these different groups are up there. That's when they went up there for, to them. They was bringing the noise to them. This was was triggered. Now, right after that, see, Mayor uh, Laurie is a master in keeping up confusion so you can't see her, her devilish behind. So then right after that, Laurie gave the Latinos $3 million, say, hey, man, y'all keep them people out y'all community. And then you had the first time never in the history of Chicago, a black and Mexican race riot. Did you know that? No. When did that happen and where did that, that happen? Happened, that happened right at the same time. Right I remember NBC's uh, total lack of coverage of any of this and, and ABC's and CBS. I mean, nobody covered any of that. That's right. Because they, uh, Londell, uh, Lil Pilsen, and Cicero, those three neighborhoods, those three areas right there, blew up. Black folks and Mexicans was getting into it. And it was all based on uh, Lori giving them money. Talking about to keep them out your neighborhood. And then some guy got on the radio or on, on, on Facebook and said it, and it went up. And some people got hurt, people got killed, uh, women got slashed on the bus. Oh, it, it turned into ugly. All and all that was a part of Lori trying to keep the fire off her about what she was doing. See, when 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 whoever become the mayor, they need they need Brandon to get in. So can't nobody ask for a forensic audit of this woman. They need a forensic. As soon as she leaves, they need a forensic audit. They need to bring the Justice Department right in here and investigate the public housing. Because when they, and here we go again, same Lori, when the, uh, they sent the immigrants up here from uh, Texas, she got out of her bed. Went down there, told them, give them, give them Obama phones, give them uh, uh, um, uh, welfare cards. Now let's let's give, talk give about them. that for a minute. You're talking about you're talking about the Englewood FEMA center that they 
that they put in right, an old, right. uh, so, 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 an so old they, hospital or an old school or something? Right, right, right. So she tried to stop. And they're they're they're, where they're they're using it to to put they're they're using it for housing illegal aliens, correct? Well, well, first of all, I talked to some of them people. The 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 South America, uh, Venezuela, Brazil, Argentina, El Salvador. Most of them people is from Central America. They're not Mexicans. Colombia, and a lot of the, the the governments were emptying their prison cells, saying, "Y'all get the hell out and take your woman and your children with you and don't come back." That's who them people is. Just like the movie Scarface, they were putting them out of Cuba. That's who them people is. And so the Latino community, which feel threatened, hey man, don't just uh, let them people loose. Let us find out who these people is. From Pilsen and Little Village, they came to a protest out there and demanded that the mayor, hey man, we need to see who these people is because they first they they, they they Latino they speak our language they can't go in a regular spot so they're gonna come into Latino and we're gonna end up getting into it with them because they, they, if they're criminals or if they got a background of murder and uh, cartelism and all that and then they still can get on the phone and call and find out who shot Bob so uh, that's that's who these people are. That's what Trump said when he was running for president in 2016. He he say they were sending. Rapists and killers. He said and he they're got not a lot sending of trouble their finest, for that. Right? They they were sending the they they emptying their prisons, and they telling them if you got a woman and your kids, you take them with you. Don't come back. Take your kids with you. You ain't got no reason to come back. That's what the guy told me. They get them they, and they get them Obama phones. They get them welfare cards. They get them uh, money. All that. Why do you think they're doing it? Well, that um, Biden put out $300 million and sent $65 million to Chicago. And, and, and Governor Pritzker, who is uh, allegedly going to run for president, he wanted to look like he was helping the Latino community, so he took the money. And then Lori, she didn't, she didn't want it. But the alderman of that ward she's a progressive she went and had them to bring wrote a letter bring them to my ward give them this school right here and so the latinos came over there they was the ones explaining to us that this is not a immigration naturalization building this is being controlled by uh What's the people that you try to overthrow the country? I mean, uh, uh, what, is, what is it? Homeland Security. And the building's being funded by uh, FEMA. This is a FEMA account. So that's how we found out it was a FEMA account. And all this has been and done on the Lord. And so this was brought to Brandon. This has been brought to Brandon's did, attention. But what's the why? Why would they do that? They they seem to be welcoming in people who are being let out of prisons. Why are they doing that? Well, first of all, I mean, do the people all, in the do the people in the community the the people that they, you know 
in the community? Do they want? Do they want this to happen? The, 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 the protests. The, they had a press conference. The alderman. I'm telling y'all, the progressives is asking for this. And so once Laurie saw that the progressives had crossed her, that's when she tried to stop it. You, you, you get it? Wait, when did the progressives cross her? The progressives went with, with, with uh, the progressives basically oh, went with Brandon. Is, is, is the teachers union. That's who the progressives is, basically. Right. But uh, they abandoned the Latin- her in the reelection, is what you're saying. But, but, but the Latinos. They 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 didn't like it neither. And so they came out to the protest and to the press conference to get it straight about, first of all, why would you put some people in a, in, in, in a situation where in a community where they're not welcome and in a hostile environment and they didn't they didn't march six thousand miles and now they over here around a bunch of people that don't like them and anything could kick off. You know, and that's when they started telling us that these guys uh, had been to jail and stuff like that. And they didn't mean nothing about it in Chicago about they've been to jail. Folks, I hope you are enjoying this. this I know is, I am. This is Paul McKinley um, that you're listening to, uh, our first interview on the program, uh, a good friend of mine and i just think just listen to me i was always captivated by just we spent a lot of time together and we spent a lot of time in the car together i've driven to dc with him probably three or four times so to me it was just always fascinating he's got the gift of gab oh he definitely has the gift of gab um but but it's it's always illuminating and and just just it 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 shows you how he, he, his view of things, even if it even if he's not a hundred percent right about something, because we all make mistakes about things. But like, and that's what I say with 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 this with this show. Like, the point is looking at things differently because we're so trapped in in the paradigm, and we're so trapped in you know. It, the the narratives that that come at us that are launched at us and when you i think when you hear somebody like paul and and one of the advantages is because paul and i disagree about a lot of things we ag- we agree on way more than we disagree on but he has some ideas uh politically or economically i mean he's he's a pretty conservative guy but he has some different ideas than i have but to me that's the point he has um insight and experience in his own community that we don't have and so as far as it's it's totally unrepresented right and that's the the thing he Nobody knows that, that, well, not nobody, most people have no idea that there is this ex-offender community out there that is holding a perspective that is almost downright hostile to the progressive narrative. So they, that's, they're voiceless in our culture. Right. And I think, so I think that hopefully by you being exposed to his ideas, his voice today, uh, just 
it helps you to see things from somebody from actually inside that community who has always lived in that community, who still lives in that community today and is still very active in trying to restore that community. Part of his uh, whole purpose in life after prison was was uh, recognizing that he that his time served wasn't enough to make amends to the damage he did and he feels compelled to now basically try to restore and uh and solve a lot of the problems in his community so uh, what does it tell you jeremy that the that the right the republican party hasn't figured out that this voice exists and maybe hey maybe we should we should Work with this guy. Let's hey, maybe we should develop this. Let's let's get in there and work with them. What do they need? How can we help them? I have seen with my own eyes people in the right try to shut this kind of narrative down. Because wow. that's how corrupt it is. And just there are people in the right that do the same thing in the left where it's basically just about money and there's a fear that giving somebody like Paul a voice will cut into their revenue stream. Right. And he may actually go out there and accidentally say something honest and exactly. truthful <laughs> and therefore shocking. <laughs> exactly. So I, I hope everybody is enjoying this today, and uh, this is something you know we do want to do uh, from time to time is, is bring people in for interviews. We have more to get into with Paul, and I think I think you're going to find it uh, very beneficial and, and very enlightening. But it is that time. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. It is that time where we get to tell you about the value for value model. And that is how we bring you the Truth Bait podcast. Value for value is very simple. If you think that what we are doing here on the Truth Bait podcast is providing value to you, providing value to the community, then we ask that you please return value to the program because we do not accept any corporate sponsorship. We have only citizen sponsorship, and there are multiple ways to be a citizen sponsor. It isn't just money. You, the most important way to be a citizen sponsor right now is to share the show. Hashtag share the show, share the show, share the show, because that is right now we are trying to grow this community of like-minded people who are thirsty for a, a, a information that is not just corporatized and propagandized. People are hungry for the truth, and that is that is what we're trying to build here. Sharing the show is going to help us build that community. Uh, there are uh, the uh, another way is to you know, send us story ideas, send us feedback. You're listening to this interview today. Maybe there's something you're listening and you're saying, oh, I wish they had asked that question. Well, guess what? We want to bring Paul back. So we're very interested in hearing your response, your reactions to this interview. What, what would you want to talk to Paul about? You're going to get an opportunity 
to do that because you end up as active listeners, you end up, you're the producers of this program. So giving us segment ideas, giving us feedback, telling us what we're doing right, telling us what we're doing wrong, that is of incredible value that that you can bring to this program and be an active listener. Uh, 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 the uh, You know, obviously... You know, we need financial support as well, but, uh, you know, Jeremy, I don't know about you, frankly, even right now, I think the most valuable thing, like I said, is share the show, share the show. Yes, one day we want everyone to please send us $1,000 each. I think that should work weekly, 1000 weekly should probably help us get through this program. <laughs> but no, really, it, it to me... More important than any kind of financial contribution right now is in spreading the word. If you think this program's valuable, we need you to share this program. Please send it to people who you think might be like-minded. You know, you can send it to people who you think it might antagonize. That's always fun too. But- and I, I got a bone to pick with some of the listeners out there because Uh-oh. we because we've I know for a fact that many of the listeners are sharing the show because we can see the numbers and they're going this is a problem for you they're going up no but i also know for a fact some people haven't done it (laughs) well okay let me ask you jeremy when we ask people to share the show what percentage of our of our listeners do you believe will do it what's a good response to, to that ask do you think it should be 100%. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> it is because, because listen, the, right now the show is completely free for you. <laughs> well, and that's right. It It is not free for us to produce this program. We use equipment. It ta- There are subscription services. And then there is our time. Jeremy, I don't know if you know this, Jeremy has 50 children. Okay? 50. <laughs> All right. That takes a lot of time. If you count all my chickens, dogs, cats, ducks, and guinea hens, more than 50. If you count the bees, more than 50,000. Well, and this has become a full-time job. I don't think that we realized when when we decided, you know, hey, let's Let's do this. We we have a unique voice and a unique perspective. No way. Let's put together this podcast. Yeah, we thought we were going to just turn on the recorder and let's oh. do a podcast. And yeah, we could just. I talk. figured it would be a part time job. Easy. At most. Yep. Ready to roll. Ready. Okay. Let's do it. You know, it, it turns out uh, from our first uh, few, uh, um, rehearsal episodes that we shared with a few people, uh, being prepared and you know, having direction was really uh, uh, requested of a big, us. And a, and, a, and a big help because when we were, nobody has heard the first 0.9 episodes that we produced, um, but they were... Uh, a little bit slower going, I think, than these. <laughs> and, We're going to have fun playing those one day. <laughs> but but uh, taking a lot of time to prepare to get ready, uh, it, it makes it better for us. It makes it more fun. Um, but it does take time. So we really, you know, the best thing people can do right now write into us participate so that we're not going to do citizen sponsors today we're going to save that for friday uh and we do have some really good ones already lined up but 
today we're just going to stick with the interview with Paul, but, but we really, we, we love the feedback. We love having people write in and participate. It is great to, to have conversation and back and forth. And I think in time, you, the listeners are going to start to get to know who some of the other regular listeners are the 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 active listeners that's going to make it even better for everybody because it's it's really going to build that sense of community around what we're doing so that and then just sharing the show definitely sending it on uh to people that you think are going to like it and send it to people you think aren't going to like it make them sit through it Five stars. Got to give us give us those five stars. Even if you think we're only worth three stars, we want you to give us five stars, and we think that's the right thing to do. On your platform, wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, giving us stars and and following us actually is a tremendous help in boosting the program. Okay, enough. We need to get back and to follow Paul. us on Twitter. We're on Twitter uh, and all of those amazing social media platforms. Follow us all of them. On okay. All of them. All right. Are you done? I'm, no, I'm going to keep going, but you go on with the interview, and I'm just going to keep plugging you into keep myself. You keep talking. I will cut his track. Everybody, um, please. So just remember to share the show. Continue <laughs> listening, everybody, to Paul McKinley. He is uh, going to be talking a lot now about Chicago, Chicago's role in national politics, and really some amazing insights into Black Lives Matter Antifa, Antifa's connection with uh, a group you would not suspect. And uh, I just think that the rest of this interview should really be enlightening for everybody. So I'm going to kick right back into it now. Paul, you know, in in listening to what you're saying, it sounds like a, a major problem is that in the black community, well, really outside the black community, the 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 black community's narrative has is being co-opted by right. people who don't actually understand the struggles of your community and so i would ask you given that that you that the voice of your community has been co-opted as a representative of of your community what are the main issues what what is it that is being boxed out by these other voices well the 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 other groups the main group that's doing this is the teachers we got to go back to the teachers and we got to deal with the teachers because they're the main ones doing this and because the teachers union has a relationship with the with the anarchists, well, I mean, yeah, with the anarchists, the anarchists is a street gang. It's no different than you're what talking you would about, call like Antifa. You're talking about Antifa people. Antifa, Antifa, and anarchists is one and the same. And, they, and I can give you a little bit of a, just a, a just a real quick anecdote. When Rahm Emanuel was elected mayor, and the teachers union held its first major protest. And it was a gigantic protest in downtown Chicago, tens of thousands of people there. They held fake arrests and everything. They're the lead organizer that the AFL-CIO brought in to hold trainings for the teachers to, to train them how to be arrested was Lisa Fithian. 
uh, right. the, the, one of the, the lead organizers of the anarchist movement. And I, I'll dig it up. I have an interview with her. I walked up to her on the street while she's marching down the street in Chicago with a group of anarchists. And I asked her if the anarchists were welcome in the Occupy movement, because it was Occupy back then. There was no BLM yet. And her right. response was that, that all, this is an anarchist movement. They're building a horizontal movement. Hey, Lisa, who organizes the anarchists? We all self-organize. We're organizing a horizontal movement. Are the anarchists welcome in the Occupy movement? We're all anarchists. Thank you, Lisa. So you're right. The teachers' union is absolutely uh, has a lockstep relationship with the anarchists. They use them as as training and muscle. And in fact, the anarchists were the ones blocking traffic and running the protest, running the march when the teachers marched. And the reason why they went and got them in Chicago is because Chicago, whether you like it or not, Chicago is a gangster town, and you, you got to have some people who going to support your, whatever your philosophy is. And so they never can ventured off into the neighborhoods. They would go downtown, even when they was doing the police protests, they would go in front of the police and they would, they would do press releases and po- the press would come down there. They would have some black people up front. But if you look at those marches of all those black line marches, they were majority white people. And during the time of the um, of the uh, uh, the pandemic, a lot of the teachers was a part of the protest because they could wear masks. And so these teachers uh, uh, from v- various parts of the country would bring their children because everybody wearing a mask now. And so it, it got so bad after the second ride in Chicago, it word was. Man, y'all catch them people in the neighborhood start getting down on them because there was already an issue about uh, 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 um, the Latino situation, which they end up kind of resolving. The kind of there was already that going on, and then they talking about these other people, these white folks coming in our neighborhood, which is really street gangs. So that 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 really ticked everybody off because they was at first thinking that these were just white groups and they, they further moved. No, they were, that ain't what they was. You know what I'm talking about? Now, the anarchists in the state penitentiary, they ride with the Aryan Brotherhood. Did you know that? Whoa. The anarchists ride with the Aryan Brotherhood. They don't ride with no groups with the black community. They ride with the Aryan Brotherhood. And in the state of Illinois, the, the race gang in the state of Illinois in the penitentiary is called the Bikers. They ride with the bikers. Now, but they, I thought they're anti-racist. They say they're anti-racist. You're saying they, I, I they roll you, with the I Aryan you, Brotherhood I'm in prison? They, I'm telling you who they ride with. They ride with them. They don't, ain't no in the jail and we all together. Kumbaya, we all together. Let's go. Hey, man, this is a class thing. No, this is, you're going to get stabbed if you don't get over here with the white people. If you don't come over here with the black people, it's a race thing in jail. So when it, when their survival is on the line, <laughs> suddenly no, they're very they pliable. Saying, no, it ain't got nothing to do with survival. It never, they never was. They never was on no black stuff. No way. 
They was on some socialist stuff, some communist stuff. So they never was on no black stuff. They weren't on no we trying to save the black people. They never was on none of that. They socialists. They believe it's a class thing. They don't look at us as a people. They don't look at us as human beings. They call our people and our race lumping proletarians. That's what they feel about black folks. Man, they lumping proletarians. They ain't got no sense. Use them so we can step on them to get to make a higher goal to overthrow the government. That's how they talk. So the first thing they started getting into it with, 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 with guys in the streets, they stopped coming because they're going to end up being some shooting later after that. They know what the, the guys in the streets going to do. They ain't going to keep playing with them. And the guys in California did shoot some of them and ran them up out of their town. That's why if you notice, you don't see them in their community. You see them close to like Latino type communities that bordering Latino community, not in the Latino community. They're around immigration type uh, gatherings, those type, but they're not in any certain community because they're not for the people. They have their own agenda. Now this race here then boiled down to now he want to uh, raise the banner of race. I'm talking about Brandon now. Well, he didn't raise the banner, a banner of race when he was a part of getting rid of 10,000 uh, teachers. He didn't raise the banner. He didn't say, hey, man, these, we ain't going to get rid of these teachers to bring these young progressives in that can't pay their damn uh, uh, loans back on these on these loans for these. They knew they couldn't pay that stuff in the first place. What you getting a $300,000 loan and you ain't you ain't never had no $300,000 to pay nothing? What you got a three hundred thousand dollar loan and they and ain't got you the degree. You said he got rid of the he helped to get rid of the teachers. How did he what was so, his so role in that? He was a rep. He was a he was a rep. He represented the black teachers. He represented the teachers. And so in the union. They wanted to, they wanted to get rid of they wanted to get rid of the teachers that was in their fifties. In order for them to bring in this new agenda, this new uh, gay agenda, and this new uh, progressive agenda, they had to get rid of these black teachers who were teaching family values, who were teaching love, who was teaching you know, right from wrong. They want, they need to get rid of them and bring in these new people, these new people, so that they can put them. These are the people that Obama made to deal with. And so they went to school for six months and they became teachers. And Brandon put them in the schools and got rid of the teachers. You know, one thing that would really shake this up is if the black community that you're that you're describing would actually start voting conservative. Since they well, sound conservative. Well, let me tell you what's wrong with that. The That's why I brought up the governor's race. There was a deal made with old man Daly. He couldn't be the big Democrat if there was a Democrat in Springfield. If the governor was the Democrat, he was bigger than the mayor of Chicago. So he didn't have no problem. And actually, he liked it for it to be a Republican governor. That means he was the biggest, the biggest, the biggest guy in the town. And so he You're made a deal old with Mayor Daly. Old Mayor Daly. He made a okay. deal with the Republicans in the state of Illinois. And they lied, they they lie about it. 
But this is the deal he made. And it was a part of the reason why this man lost. The deal was you can get blacks to, to vote for you, but you can't get blacks to be Republicans. I don't want them to be Republicans. Let's just let them vote for you for government. And that's it. That's that's enough. Now, you know, that we ain't trying to go too far. Just let them get to, you know, we, we don't want and them Republicans to be Republicans were good with that? Yeah, because they just wanted to they wanted to stay. They wanted the capital. And they made that deal. They made that deal. Then that deal was made in the 60s. That deal been going on this last election. I was going to say, it explains a lot. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man. Listen, listen. There was a guy running for uh, against Janulius. The guy really wasn't running against him. Not a guy. He a Republican. Not a guy worked with Janulius. He became uh, on the transition team with Janulius. All he had to do was run for real. He'd have won the seat for real. Then the the the, the lady that was running with the, the guy was running for governor did everything she could do to keep black folks from voting for the governor. The guy for him to be governor. This thing is deep with these guys, man. And I'm not quite sure these people ain't taking money from pressing them to do the stuff they're doing. They ain't, people is not just doing this stuff. I just feel like doing something. You know what I mean? Right. There's got to be so, some money involved in this stuff. So briefly, maybe to wrap things up, talk to talk to us about why and, and let our audience understand, because we have audience sort of all over uh, across the country. And, um, you know, why you have always been telling me everything comes out of Chicago, everything starts in chicago so maybe you could talk touch a little bit on that and and why people should be paying attention to what's going on in chicago and what you mean when you say that chicago is the think tank for the democratic party and for the republican party they just don't know it the obama come about in chicago they use the machine tactics to get Obama in office. That's what you see the progressives doing. They're using the the old machine tactics on, on the machine. Is this connected on, to on, University of Chicago? Because he was a teacher at University of Chicago, wasn't he? Well, well the university, well, what you call him, was, went there too. Uh, Bernie Sanders went there too. The, the University of Chicago is a think tank. They get intellectual capital, but they're not the only university. The, the U, UIC also is a part of this fiasco. Right, where Bill Ayers... Uh, Which is where Bill Ayers is. Right. We found a clip of Bill Ayers to... Just to give you an idea, we know everybody hasn't heard of Bill Ayers, but just to give you some insight into him and his mindset, and he, this guy has a ton of influence in university education. You know, you can look back, even a glance at history tells you that elections don't actually change the course of history. What changes the course of history is popular movements from below. It's not, a, it's not, it's not resolved by a candidate. It's resolved by, you know, through a, an ongoing, continuing struggle for social justice. Yeah, you know what, though? What Bill Ayers is saying there is what Andrew Breitbart said. Politics is downstream from culture. Yeah, but he's talking when he's talking about grassroots. He's talking about changing the culture. 
because that's what moved, that's what creates change. Well, I think he's talking about fire from below, meaning hell. Well, but I, it, you understand, though, that he's what he is saying is it doesn't matter. You're, you're, it, 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 the politician you elect is not what makes the difference. Yeah. They don't do anything other than really represent what the culture demands. Okay. These universities became the think tank, and, and, and because they became the think tank, they, what they did was that everything they used, even the, the civil rights movement, the, uh, the civil rights movement, when they were uh, segregation, uh, they practiced in Chicago, segregation, getting on the bus, what to do on the bus, all that stuff is up here. So, and it come about the University of Chicago. So, a lot of stuff that you see that they're doing in other cities, they really doing it from the University of Chicago. They're doing it from Chicago. Didn't you now, uh, at one point say that Black Lives Matter came out of University of Chicago? Well, Black Lives Matter, they they had a lady by the name of. Uh, they had a group. First of all, Black Lives Matter never was in Chicago. It was Youth 100, and we called Genocide. We called Genocide was a program where they took a lot of uh, young gay women and a few black gay men and <clears throat> and <clears throat> put them on the, uh, they gave them the, uh, the Renika Boys case. Now, Renika Boys was a young girl that got shot in the head in, in the alley by off-duty drunk police. And uh, they got right in there. And there's a pattern of Black Lives Matter and these people, too. They they get involved. Oh, oh, oh I, got, I left something out. The Communist Party, one of the Communist Party manifesto is to create racial tension in America to overthrow America. And to use the Black community as cannon, cannon fire as this racial tension emerged. But never, never allow the black community to resolve this issue. If you notice, all of the cases that Black Lives Matter was involved in, none of them were, was ever, there was never no conclusion, no, no court date, no trial. No one ever went to trial other than this last case. But all the other cases, the cases was kicked out because uh, they wasn't trying to get no res no resolution because they wanted to happen again and again and again and again to uh, create a destabilize and to destabilize the constitutional and democracy and uh, this republic. And so that's why you see them the the stuff that you see. And so what happened in Chicago shocked them when when the black community went up in their neighborhood and started acting a fool with them and the Latino community, which was angered and used uh, the, the it was a little guy that got killed too by the police. They used that to go in their neighborhood and clown with them again. So they was like, hey Laurie, you letting these people come up here, Lori like I can't stop them. I don't know I don't know what they was gonna do that. Then it got out of control. But the Communist Party has always used black folks. To act like they're going to overthrow the government. They ain't trying to overthrow this government. They ain't trying to do that. They're going there and make a deal. Them same people going to go in there and make a deal and, 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 and get their kids some jobs and, 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 and the revolution over with. 
the revolution over with. That's all they own. They ain't trying to overthrow this government. Now, for real, now there's another group that is, and them, them elitists and them people that's, that's actually in play. But these people, teachers, union, you know, all them, man, them people negotiating for a position, for a better check. That's all they're doing. And to keep up havoc, keep out, and to keep the country in the constant havoc and never let the people get any rest. Hey, man, listen, I done read all you can read about the communist revolution. One of the things the communists did when they got in power, they released all, they opened up all the prisons and let them all out on the streets. When they let all them out on the streets, them people that had been locked up for many years, didn't have nothing, didn't have no prospects of ever being nothing, and got out and started acting a fool, and the people cried out to the government to crack down on them and do something to them, and the government cracked down on everybody. That's what you see this is. That's when you hear Brandon Johnson say, defund the police. That is nothing but a communist, socialist conscript. Where he's saying, uh, let these people tear up the country, then put a, another form of police department in, more of a, 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 a Gestapo style or a KGB style system. You need a more of a KGB style system. So, when you hear them talking, learn the cold words that they saying. They saying it to you. No society can be, uh, no advanced society can exist without having law and order. You got to have law and you got to have people that will keep the law. This from the primitive, the most primitive time to right now today. So for him to even say that, that's a political motive for him to say that. So I don't, I don't think that Brandon is going to win. I do think that Brandon, I'm watching him. I'm watching how they're trying to make him like an Obama. I believe that he probably, uh, uh, my uh, belief is that he's going to lose because the black community is turned off with all the black leaders and feel that they don't know, that they, didn't, that they abandoned them during the, uh, during the, uh, the pandemic. The young and old, they all feel like they abandoned them, that, that they didn't have no, nothing. And so I think that the low voter turnout that we had was a reflection, was a reflection of that. I think that was one of the reflections of that, of the, the way that people felt about it. I also think white people feel like that, too, because a lot of white people didn't come out in, in, in Cook County. You know, they, they really, everybody really felt. That they was, they, you know, they was lied to. They was misused. Well, I saw one of Lori Lightfoot's staffers, who's a, a white female, uh, filmed a video of herself complaining that Chicago's the most racist city in the history of the world ever because Lori Lightfoot lost. <laughs> it, well, let's get this straight. Black folks didn't vote for them. They ain't got nothing to do with white folks. Black folks felt that she failed them. She was a disaster. She was a complete disaster. You know what I'm talking about? And and, and she had a lot of disdain uh, and hatred. You know, that's it must be a terrible thing to hate people that they never did nothing to you. That must be a terrible thing to live with that. You know, I hope one day she will get over that, hating her own people. And, you know, I, and if I could, I would just ask her one question. What did we ever do to you? Because I don't even know her for her to be acting the way she was acting with, with me and everybody else. 
you know, and she very she got a lot of disdain for black people. Uh, Paul, uh, how do people get a hold of you? How do people follow you? Is there any place where people can follow your work and 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 hear more from you? Well, uh, they can they can see me on Facebook, but a lot of times, uh, you know, because Facebook is kicking me off, kicking me on. You know, you don't really know when you're going to be put in jail, let out of jail, or, or blocked. You know, so you know. I guess they just hit me on your show again. Whenever y'all bring me back. Yeah, well, where where on YouTube? Should, I'm sorry, where on where on Facebook should they go? Uh, Paul uh, M C I N K E Y. So that's how you spell my last name. All right. So I don't know. What did you think? What did you think of that interview? I'm always blown away by Paul. He, his, like I said, his voice is just not, get, his, not represented in our culture, and it needs to be. Uh, I, if we are the only podcast that is going to lift this man up right now, then then that is the the ultimate value that Truthbait can deliver today, because. Uh, his voice is just always uh, so counter to the narrative that that's that's what I personally thirst for. So to have him on is uh, a treat for me. I hope a treat for our listeners, and I definitely want to have him back. He's uh, yeah, like I said to everybody, he's a, he's a great guy. He's a good friend. He is very wise. Much of what I have learned about politics over the years uh has come straight from him and uh i hope he gives me hope for chicago well that's the thing is a lot of the content we produced over the years actually that was the type of feedback we always got was that it gave people hope and from from black community and white community we would get we he would get contacted from people all over the country in the black community saying man we got to get together and do some work together this is the same stuff we've been trying to do here in atlanta or here in la or here in new york wherever and then white communities are like wow this you know really gives me hope because you know it it would show that that there is far more common ground between us than uh, than the media and our overlords would have us to believe who who benefit by keeping us divided from each other so i i think um you know i hope everybody enjoyed this uh we're going to be back on friday with a normal regular truth bait podcast i hope uh everybody will be back andrew will be back in studio back from my uh time on the road in la la land putting together moving and shaking putting together deals for this podcast jeremy you didn't tell me about that. Yeah, because it's not true. <laughs> yeah, I'm out here at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> probably closer to moving us into those homeless camps. <laughs> well, that's a growth industry out here, Jeremy. I went past the SVB branch here in Beverly Hills, and uh, not a lot of action outside there today. No line? 
No line. You there should was go somebody, stand out there and play like a there, sign, like, give me my money. And there was somebody actually out there, and he looked like he was doing some sort of a Instagram or something, uh, you know, just talking into his phone. That's all over Beverly Hills. It is... Oh, Jeremy, it is the strangest mix out here. People being celebrities and <laughs> wanting to be celebrities and seeing celebrity. It's just... It's uh, it's a unique it's a unique environment out here. Well, yeah. Well, so I'm going to be very happy to be leaving here, <laughs> being back in my studio, Jeremy. <laughs> but I think this was actually a pretty good test of how we can do this when we travel, and that we can bring this show to our audience every Tuesday and Friday without fail. To the very best of our ability. Have a very, very good week, everybody. See you Friday. And now, back into the sea of clickbait with you all.